0: Once you embrace that lost part of you, then you can move forwards. You know, then you're on the path of self-integration and you're you're making yourself whole.
1: The roadmap back to you. Reshape your world from the inside out and find peace of mind. So, welcome to the first episode in the Roadmap Back to You podcast. And today I'm having a conversation with somebody's journey that truly inspires me, Ananda Subhuti. The intention of this podcast is to interview people and experts who are on the path of self awareness, self discovery, and to gain insights that they have used to reshape their own worlds from the inside out and their quest to find peace of mind. We will be diving deep into their frameworks, the mindset, and looking for key words of wisdom and what really has shaped their own inner journey. So today I'm having a conversation with Anand Subuti, who is the author of six books, the latest book being Wild Wild Guru, where he shares about his journey and encounters with the mystic guru Osho. He worked as a political journalist in the early 1970s. He is a meditator, a friend, and a sannyasin. And he lives in Denmark in a meditation center called Osha Risk, which I've also visited. So, welcome, Subhuti.
0: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
1: So, I'm in the midst of reading your book and your journey. And maybe for our listeners, you could start off with an overview of your life journey so we get a sense of your path and
0: who you are? Yeah, I think you could say that up to about somewhere around the mid-20s, I was basically uh, mainstream, on track, believing, you know, everything I've been told at school and by society that it's important to have a good career and uh, good income and maybe then get married, settle down, wife and kids. It was all going pretty uh, pretty much in that direction. But then uh, I kind of derailed myself, and uh, it's always a mystery why these things happen, but I suddenly realized, well, I realized over a period of a few years that my main interest was not in the glittering prizes uh, offered by society, but in self-inquiry, meditation, spiritual journey. And that was a big shift. And it happened around, I don't know, the age 28, 29. Everything changed. And then I gave up my job in the House of Parliament, stopped being a journalist and went to India
1: and uh, met Osho. And who would you say that Osho was?
0: He was the answer to a question. You know, I've been reading all these books about Buddha and Sufi. Sufi stories were very popular uh, at that time, and uh, Zen, Zen stories, and all about these um, enlightened mystics. And then also in California, there was Carlos Castaneda talking about um, the teachings of Don Juan and all these kind of, um, and I had met a few spiritual teachers, and I, but I thought, I had the idea there must, there is a state called enlightenment, which is, uh, in my understanding, uh, a completion of the quest for fulfillment, spiritual fulfillment, spiritual awakening. Although I'd met some very interesting people, I had not met somebody I thought was fully enlightened, fully spiritually awakened. And when I met Osho, he was the answer to that question. He was, as far as I could tell, um, the real thing. He had, in that sense, found himself on that deepest level. People like Gautam Buddha and Jesus Christ and Lao Tzu had done. And then the question shifted. The question then was, can I learn from this person to somehow approach the same state.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that when you first heard his voice, uh, you heard a man that was completely at ease with himself. And you mentioned that I would give anything to have that kind of peace in my life. Would you like to share a little bit about this longing for peace at that time as a journalist?
0: Yeah, I think I was on the verge of giving up being a journalist at that point. But certainly there was a lot of stress and a lot of tension in my life, uh, just, just just regular old you know daily life, daily tension. And I had been meditating or exploring meditation. And afterwards, there was a cup of tea, and someone put on this audio tape by Osho. And just the quality of his voice at that time, he I think some of, I think everybody has had those moments in their life when they when they really feel just relaxed and content in themselves after you've won a football game or or you've you know you've been working on a project for six months and you finally or you've been writing a book for a year and you finally put it away and it's finished and and then briefly I would say in normal life you get this feeling that uh, now I now I can just relax. I'm sure people do you know people who go for long walks or <laughs> anything really you know, any kind of challenge which you successfully overcome, you come to this place. And I think that's important for everybody. And what meditation offers is the the possibility of living 24 hours in that state of self-acceptance, self-relaxation, fulfillment.
1: Wow. And do you feel that your journey to look for this peace was fulfilled in going to India? Like, How did that then manifest in your life and what did you discover?
0: Okay, well, the first thing I discovered was pretty much the exact opposite (laughs) of what I'd been looking for. I mean, Osho developed, this is one of the things I greatly appreciate about him. He developed some active meditations and he said, look, it's no good for Western, Westerners are so speedy, so uptight, so tense, so driven, so interested in quick results. No good sitting down you know, under a coconut palm and looking at your navel, you know, and and hoping to find some peace, it'll be very superficial, he said. So he developed these meditations where you actually, and there's one particular meditation, which I'm sure you know, called dynamic meditation, where you, you have 10 minutes fast breathing, and then you basically scream and shout and let it all out. And that is a deliberate attempt to release some of the built up pressure inside, some of the stress, some of the tension that we normally carry. You know, we have to bite back so much of our expression. You know, someone's being nasty to us, but we have to smile and say yes, because they're the boss or any kind of situation where we're not being true to ourselves or where we want to, you know, just shout or just say, you know, I hate you or whatever. And all of that energy is bottled up inside because we are civilized people. I put that in inverted commas, (laughs) civilized. So what Osho was saying is, look, let this stuff out. Take the lid off the pressure cooker. Let this stuff out. Scream it, shout it, beat a pillow, pretend it's your father, (laughs) whatever, you know, bang it away, whatever, and get it out. and, And then there's a chance that you will be able to sit down and experience what real silence and real relaxation and real meditation are. So I very much appreciated that approach because was somebody who really understood the paradox of people who are locked into a modern lifestyle and yet they still want to meditate. And I think dynamic meditation is a stroke of genius.
1: Yeah, for me as well. I think when I started with Osho meditations, it was a real shift because I had done vipassanas, as you know, before, and that was all very kind of controlled. And I felt like I had lots of emotions that were undisturbed. Like not dealt with, that I felt Osho was like helping me to release and deal with. So I think it's very needed this emotional kind of release. These meditations, especially today, when there's so much suppression.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, this word control. I think it's that you used. I think it's very relevant because yes, the pasna is controlled, and also yoga. I mean, I'm I'm totally in favor of yoga. I think it's a great uh, discipline. And it's certainly been one of the biggest avenues for people to approach Eastern ideas. But again, it's control. Yoga is the path of control. And uh, as you say, you know, it's um, we're sitting on a lot of pressure inside. Um, Yeah, and uh, that's what I love about dynamic meditation. You you know, you have an extraordinary opportunity to just. Vent, express, release—it's such a wonderful permission to actually take the lid off. And basically, it's—it's not, it's not meant. I mean, some people are shocked when they first do dynamic meditation because of this, but it's actually—it can be very enjoyable to be angry. And not difficult at all. I mean, it's all in there. I mean, just have to. And one of the things he said, which I really like, was he said if you can't connect with your anger, because some people in the beginning have this difficulty, just pretend to be angry, you know, fake it till you make it. And it's amazing, you know, you you pretend to be angry, and suddenly, (laughs) suddenly, it's authentic, and it doesn't take much. And of course, it's not just anger that we have inside tears, madness, laughter, everything, you know, it's just a question of, allowing everything to come up and then sit silently or stand you're immediately at a much deeper level than you would be if you had just sat down and tried to close your eyes
1: that's really powerful would you recommend like if someone's going through some kind of situation which is causing them anger or some very strong emotional disturbance like what would you recommend for this person is there a technique that you suggest or is it dynamic or i know that gibberish can also be powerful. What would you recommend
0: I think it's difficult to generalize because what is going to happen let's say i'm you know going through a divorce and I'm angry with my wife because she wants to take everything from me you know I've never been married, but well I have but you know, I haven't been in that particular situation i'm just being hypothetical so you know there's a lot of anger there and bitterness and rage now the thing is if you start doing dynamic, there's going to be a period at least the first few times when you're going to be even more raw and sensitive and vulnerable than you were before you started it's not like i mean this is one of the problems they had there was a, a director of prisons in in india or in delhi and there, and there's a there's a very um, brutal and tough jail in delhi called T- tiha and she had the idea this new director that if all the prisoners did dynamic you'd get rid of all there. Bad stuff, but they had to stop it because pe- the prisoners got so they loved it, but it made them even more reactive because they were more sensitive, they were more open, they were less controlled. So, um, it's not the case, you know, okay, I'm going through a divorce, I'm angry with my wife, I, I better do dynamic meditation. Yes, it, it could be helpful, but I would, I think it might be better to go away and do a course. Take a break, take a complete break, and then you know, because there's a period with dynamic that you have to somehow get used to it. Get used to this idea of being being in in contact with your feelings directly, uh, because that takes some some meditative awareness to 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 be able to to do that. I think it's a challenge for everybody to find what works for them in that moment in their lives. And it would be very difficult for me to say, oh, just do this, everybody, and everybody will feel better. You understand? Yeah. But I would say that it, you know, any kind of emotional discomfort is an incentive to look at yourself and to explore the world of meditation and growth.
1: Yeah, something that you share about in your political career as journalist is witnessing a system that, Invites, as you call it, the walking wounded to run for office using the power given by others (laughs) to cover up their own sense of inferiority. And something that I found quite profound in reading and moving into your book was this journey that you've had to be wishing to be seen as somebody in the eyes of society. And this kind of need for recognition, which I can relate to as well, is my journey in like being nobody and. I mean, I really loved hearing about Subhuti your name, which was given by Osho. And would you like to share a little bit about what your name means and your journey into from being somebody to being nobody and and what that looks like?
0: Yeah. Westminster was a good introduction because, at the set, I mean, there were two things going on. One was I was very young, when I became a political correspondent. And uh, my career, in a sense, was on track. And I, was, I wanted to be like, end up, you know, political editor of The Guardian or political editor of The Times or something. That ambition was there. And of course, I was looking at the politicians and how how they behave. And as you say, You know, I noticed that in many it plays out in many different ways. But basically, politicians want to to be powerful. There's a hunger for power because you know that makes them feel how they don't feel in ordinary life, which is like insignificant or nobody, as as you might say. When I went to Osho, he was this was very interesting because he was a man who I could see just by being who he was and talking to him face to face that he had that power inside himself. He didn't need to get it from the outside. And that was very attractive because I think that we should all be able to do that. You know, we should all be connected with ourselves in such a deep and authentic way that we don't need the approval of others. And that's nice. I'm not saying we should avoid it. You know, I just did this wonderful little, um, just participating in this wonderful little video that we did of Osho risk uh dance routine to Jerusalem, this uh, South African song, which is going around the world. And of course, you know, I wanted to be seen in the video and do my steps and do it right and, and look good, you know, and that's fine. You know, I'm not saying we shouldn't have our little moment on the stage, <laughs> but we shouldn't depend on it. I mean, the for our self-worth, for our self-esteem. That was uh, very interesting then that somehow Osho saw that in me because he gave me this name, Subuti. And uh, he told me it was Buddha's chief disciple. And uh, he made him sound very important. But when I read the book the next day, he wasn't important at all in that way. I mean, uh, there were many, many people who came to Gautam Buddha. It was this about, what, 2,500 years ago? Very important people who were gurus in their own right, who came basically to challenge gotten Buddha, and then of course, saw what a magnificent being he was and became his disciple. Many, many important people around Buddha, but Subuti was a nobody. And through relaxing into his nobody he found his true power, his authentic self. So that was a good lesson. Osho gave me the name Subuti. Before that, I was just Peter.
1: Wow, that's really powerful. And do you think that A lot of, we'll go back to the people in in this kind of political system, you know, you say walking wounded, covering up their sense of inferiority. Do you think that a lot of this comes from wounds from our inner child that needs to be seen or recognized?
0: It's a very strange business growing up because it seems that no matter how well-intentioned our parents are, we are always taught to focus for approval. On the outside. Maybe it's that survival mechanism of the baby that, you know, learns to love the mother because the mother is the source of nourishment and the baby is helpless. But um, we are basically, everybody, well, in, in different degrees, we are taught to seek approval from outside, first from our parents and then from society, from our teachers, how many likes you get from your friends uh, on Facebook. It's like we're just sucked out of ourselves into this need, dependence on uh, approval from outside. And uh, politicians have that even more than most people, I think, which is why they actually have to actually go and and look for power and try. Of course, every politician wants to be the prime minister, basically, and wants to be in Downing Street, like Boris. Boris uh, Johnson, uh, one of the famous quotes when he was in Eton was, I want to rule the world.
1: That's interesting. In this journey of Really finding the inner power, you know, and inner power, inner peace. Really moving from inside out. Do you think that meditation is the way in? Um, how would someone access the inner power, or what has been a key tool or insight that you've used to to tap into this inner power?
0: I think there's three different approaches. One is meditation, because meditation takes you in and gives you an experience of your consciousness beyond your personality. And that's important. And then there's all kinds of different uh, personal growth processes that people can do, which I have benefited tremendously from some of these processes, such as, you know, exploring your inner man, inner woman, meaning your feminine qualities and your masculine qualities, both of which need some need to be expressed or uh, embraced. Found that very important. Then there's uh, obviously primal therapy, going back to your early childhood and Looking at some of those wounds that, uh, you know, as I say, our parents mostly were acting from the best of intentions, and and my parents were quite hurt when I even suggested that there were some issues to look at. (laughs) So you know, best not to share everything with your parents. Yeah. So primal therapy, and then there's family constellation developed by Bert Hellinger in Germany. That that's a brilliant system for resolving. family in network issues and then there's the enneagram which i teach which is very uh deep look at your personality structure and how it's made up so there's many many tools that one can can use and i think it's, it's up to each person to see which of those tools will benefit them the most at that particular time and lifestyle lifestyle is important because um if you're leading a frantic high-pressure lifestyle, you know, in the mainstream, there's very little opportunity for self-reflection and self-development. There I think in almost everybody's life there there has to come a point where you basically have to ease up on the accelerator and say, look, you know, I'm not going to be political editor of the Times, maybe I'll just settle for political correspondent for the Birmingham Post, which I was until that newspaper folded and learn what I need to learn from this situation, which which was very glamorous in a way, writing about national problems and national crises. But then after about two years, I was like, "Okay, what else is new? And then, of course, looking at the older journalists, they were not a pretty sight. You know, they were bitter, cynical. Some of them were alcoholics. Journalism is not a nice profession at that level anyway.
1: Okay, this is interesting. And what advice do you have? Because I remember one of the conversations we had at risk, which I found quite fascinating when I was doing primer work and inner child work was I had this realization that I kind of got stuck at the age of seven. <laughs> and I stopped growing, you know, I stopped growing up. Uh, one of the insights that I've had is there's a difference between growing old and growing up. What advice do you have around that? Or in terms of, you know, moving from being wounded children, looking for this sense of approval on the external to really becoming adults?
0: I remember that conversation about being stuck at the age of seven, but that is actually the very first step that you need to take. That's quite an insight, actually. And then suddenly you realize that there's some unfinished business left back there when you were seven. You know, it's like, hey, and that's affecting my life, you know I that part of me was not allowed to mature, was not allowed to grow naturally. So maybe that insight is very important. And then once you've had that realization, you can then start to look where where do I go to take care of this? Maybe to primal, you know maybe to individual sessions, maybe to some other form of therapy, maybe to family constellation. You start exploring and reconnecting with that seven-year-old finding out you know why did she get stuck or how does she feel about it you know you know you can visualize in your imagination and you can connect with your feelings to that child and you can have a conversation with her with a good therapist guiding you you can have a good a conversation and she can let you know what happened what she wants and from there once you embrace that lost part of you then you can move forwards you know, then you're on the path of self-integration and you're, you're making yourself whole.
1: And one of the things that I love about Osho and my few years of experience with Osho is this, I felt like when I entered this world of Osho, it was bringing me a lot of joy because he focuses a lot on celebration and freedom and joy. And I've never seen that in another spiritual path before you know, prior to discovering this, I found a lot of them was all about austerity. Whereas when I touched Osho's work, it was this permission to celebrate life. And in your journey of being a sannyasin, what do you think being taking sannyas was for you? And how do you feel that linking to celebrating life?
0: Yeah, this is interesting, because I mean, Osho has never been a respectable teacher. I mean, people tend to avoid talking about him. They were a little bit nervous talking about Osho because he really had a good time himself and encouraged all of us to enjoy life to the maximum. And this was his, one of his contributions, I think, to which is slowly being absorbed in the whole idea of a spirituality is you don't sacrifice your material world your your life in the world for the inner journey
1: yeah and you know osho is no longer well this is debatable but he's he's no longer here in his physical body
0: absolutely that's not debatable that's a fact
1: (laughs) yeah that's a fact but um how do you think his teachings or his meditations are still relevant for today's world and for someone who might be a beginner in this Because I think today there's so much uncertainty in the world and people are dealing with so much anxiety and fear and uncertainty about the times that we're living. So how do you feel that we can make what he brought relevant to today?
0: I think the first thing to understand is everybody has to trust their own experience. I would encourage people to pretty much try everything that comes along, especially in the beginning. You know, if they want to go and see Muji, if they want to, you know, do a retreat in a Zen monastery, uh, do Vipassana, travel around India, talking to gurus, Sadhguru, for example, try everything, you know, and see what works for you. I think what's going to last from Osho is definitely his active meditations. I don't see another meditation method in the world which is as powerful as dynamic meditation. It's just brilliant. If you do it properly, you're going to experience meditation. And I think his vision of living totally, living fully, both your spiritual life and your material life, I think that's a gift that you don't need to choose one or the other.
1: That's relieving to know. (laughs) (laughs) And inside the path of the sage journey, which uh, we have at our Kanagara community, you had recently led a series of free workshops for us, you know, on the Enneagram, uh, which was really brilliant. Can you share a little bit about the Enneagram and the journey that our participants took into discovering their their Enneagram number or personality type?
0: Yeah, the Enneagram is an interesting tool because the strange thing about human beings is we all think that we're fully awake. When we make decisions about life, we are fully conscious of what we're doing. I was convinced that the, that who I was was who I thought I was at that time, which was, I think, I was about 29, I think, at the time when I met the Enneagram. And I was doing a general course in meditation in London, and part of it was the Enneagram and it was just an introduction in london and i didn't think much about it and then we went to new york and we did an advanced training in new york city and it was all about personality types i thought i was a particular type and they said no no you're not that type you're this type which happened to be a number 7 in the terminology of the enneagram and when they started to describe the characteristics of the 7 and the behavior patterns of a 7 i my jaw dropped down to my knees i was just like oh my god you know, this is so true of me, and this is a pattern for all these types. So that makes me basically makes me a robot. If my behavior can be predicted as a pattern because of life choices I made when I was a child, that's where that's where it all comes from. Of course, the the strategies we choose to to manipulate the parents, and that was such a such a shock in a way. It's like I don't know. I thought I knew who I was. I thought I was in control of my life, of myself, at least, Not maybe not my life. And it's not true. There's stuff inside me which is which is controlling me that I don't even know about. I'm being moved. I'm being manipulated by an unconscious mechanism inside my mind. And that was mind-blowing, literally. And then fortunately, I mean, I did do some work with that and familiarized myself with the Enneagram work, which I'm grateful for. But then it was about, I don't know, two years later, I met Osho. And Osho gave the real foundation to the whole thing. He said, yes, you know, basically, you have all these mind structures, these behavior patterns of the mind. And what I'm interested in doing is giving you an experience of your consciousness beyond the mind. So that was the missing piece in the Enneagram, really, because it's like, yes, you can become more aware of the mind and how it works and how it controls you and how it pushes your thinking in different certain directions. And that's just the mind. Your consciousness is much, much bigger than the mind and has the capacity to stand back from the mind and watch it watch the thinking processes, watch the emotions, watch the moods. And uh, so that was the complete teaching for me. The Enneagram and meditation made perfect sense together. That's why I started teaching it.
1: Wow. So, okay, so I want to go beyond the mind. How do I do it?
0: (laughs) Dynamic meditation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's phenomenal. So do you feel like you've experienced going beyond the mind?
0: Yes, in glimpses, yes, not as a permanent state. And I, most of the time, can, if I'm not too busy or too caught up in things, I can watch what's going on in the mind, even though I'm identified with it. I'm I'm not totally free of it, but I have much, much more awareness of what's going on inside me and what, when I'm motivated and why. And I would just like to say this about dynamic. You know, I know everybody has their favorite meditations sufi whirling or you know chanting mantras or doing yoga i highly recommend dynamic meditation because not only for its own sake but it, it would deepen your other favorite meditations you know you can do dynamic for like 21 days and then go back to chanting mantras and it will be a totally different experience or go back to doing yoga and it will be a much deeper experience. So I wouldn't say, you know, you've got to do dynamic and you shouldn't do anything else. You know, that's not the game at all. I think everybody has to, you know, make their own, trust their own experience.
1: Yeah. And how many years have you been meditating?
0: Too many. I should be enlightened by now.
1: Yeah. I think you might be. I don't
0: know. Yeah. Just a few corners to brush up.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it's been really, really interesting having this conversation. I wanted to ask you one kind of final Question, which I think a lot of people have in their mind, is people are often looking for the purpose of their life. Like, what's the purpose of my life? What would you say is the purpose of life, or the purpose of your life?
0: The purpose of life is not to look for the purpose of life. <laughs> I see it. You know, the opportunity that life presents us is to live each moment, because the future hasn't. You know, we may have goals. We want to be the prime minister. We want to be the chief executive, the chairman of the board. We want to be a millionaire. We want to be a pop star. We want to, you know, have a million likes on Facebook, whatever, you know. But all you have is this present moment. That's all there is. And if you sacrifice this moment because you're so busy thinking about what you're going to do in a year's time, you're not living your life. You're wasting your life. Even if you make it, you've lost the time in between. So this is really what I got from Osho, which is to really squeeze the juice out of each moment that we live. It's true, a little bit, right now I'm thinking of, I'm going to go and have a nice cup of tea, but basically, you know, I'm very much enjoying being here in this present moment with you. And I would strongly suggest to whoever is now watching this recording or listening to this recording that, Just take a moment in this, just to be here now, to live this present moment, because that's all we've got. And if you can really get the knack of living the present, you don't think about the purpose of life, because that is giving you what you think you might get if you reach some other goal.
1: Okay. So that I think is a great way to complete our conversation. And I personally gained a lot of value from this chat and gained some key insights from having a conversation. I also really enjoyed it. So I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to being here and also planning our next Enneagram workshop, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're listening, I invite you to just watch out for what we have planned. And if the opportunity arises, it'd be great to have subhuti come and be part of our next workshops as well
0: yeah looking forward to it
1: yeah thanks and enjoy your cup of tea
0: and thank you for inviting me
1: hello friend thank you for listening if this podcast has sparked a flame in you i encourage you to take the first step and download our free ikigai journal or join the community at kanagarajourneys.com Also, I invite you to share this podcast with a friend if you feel it can benefit them. Using the wisdom of the Tao, the Enneagram, meditation techniques, and so much more, I share the tools that have made a profound impact on my own journey and invite experts and high performers to share their secrets. I wish for you love, compassion, and peace, and I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode.